0: Welcome back to a Clubfoot Mom podcast. I'm your host and fellow Clubfoot mom, Maureen Hoff. This is an exciting episode of the podcast because I have my first, it's a first for me because I'm speaking with someone who was actually born with Clubfoot. Most of the time, I'm interviewing parents or other Clubfoot professionals, and I do find so much value in their perspectives. Obviously, I'm a parent, so I love parents, but I also think it's really important to provide the perspectives of people who actually have Clubfoot. So it is my pleasure to introduce Chloe Howard, author, speaker, Clubfoot advocate, and senior at Westmont College in Santa Barbara, California. Chloe has written two books, both titled Stand Beautiful. One is a memoir of her personal experience, and one is a picture book written for children. She is also a talented, engaging speaker who has given a TEDx talk. I'm very excited to have her here as a guest so that she can share her story with all of you. So, welcome to the podcast, Chloe. I'm so happy to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so honored. I'm so excited. It's um it's kind of hard to know where to start because you have such an amazing story. So, um why don't you just start with giving us a little bit of background about your diagnosis and what kind of treatment you had as a child?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um so my story I think began uh like a lot of children who are born with club feet. Um there was a lot of uncertainty uh, that existed mm-hmm. from the very beginning. Um about 6 months um into utero, um, I, my parents were told that I would most likely be stillborn. Um, doctors on ultrasound saw a lot of abnormalities. They thought that I may have trisomy 13. Um, they hypothesized oh. that I would never um, grow hair or teeth, or um, they also saw a massive hole in my heart um, and figured that it was because of all these things that they saw in utero, that Mm -hmm. I most likely would be stillborn, um, and they gave my parents the option to interrupt the pregnancy and said that Mm -hmm. no one would cite them for it, Mm -hmm. um, and I think just quickly to note, like, there is a lot of uncertainty that exists in this life, and Mm -hmm. I think it's very scary feeling, like, we're out of control, Mm -hmm. um, and it's hard to know what to do with that, Mm -hmm. um, obviously I'm very grateful that my parents didn't interrupt the pregnancy. And I know that that's a very large decision with when faced with things that are unknown. Right. Um, but instead of going that route, my parents, um, really buckled down, Mm -hmm. um, they are people of faith and so they really buckled down in prayer and, um, they also invited in a community of support, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is massive in that, supportive community has been with us throughout this entire journey. And now almost 22 years later, um, those people that were invited in at the very beginning are still here supporting us. And so I just think it's important to note that like Mm -hmm. in times of uncertainty, when we don't understand what's going on, when things feel Mm -hmm. out of our control, that there are people in your life that exist that you can welcome in and they will be with you. And, Mm -hmm. um, that's what's so special I've found about the Clubfoot community is that yeah. we all share these stories of confusion and hurt and um are craving this sort of resilient narrative that we mm-hmm. so know is possible, but we don't know how we'll get there. Um, yeah. And it's leaning on each other that helps us get there, I think.
0: Yeah, Um absolutely. So
1: they didn't interrupt the pregnancy mm-hmm. and I was born very healthy and very alive. Um wow. Three months later, which is great, wow. uh, okay. my the hole in my heart had healed completely, and I now have hair and teeth. yeah um, and my grandma likes to pride herself on the first one to have discovered my club foot. It was mm. all wrapped beautifully around my other foot, like a little envelope almost, mm. just curled around my other foot. Um, and when they took off the little swaddling blanket, my grandma was like, "Oh whoa, <laughs> look at that yeah. um, wow and it was just this beautiful thing from the beginning Mm -hmm. um i um my parents just did a really really good job as i was growing up teaching me that this part of myself was beautiful Mm -hmm. and made me special and um, was worthy of awe almost like wow look at this thing that was created for you Mm -hmm. um look at this gift, um, of a story that you're invited into that you get to live out now. Um, Mm -hmm. and I remember being at a young age and looking at my feet outstretched in front of me and looking at, um, like the very steep curve of my left foot and looking Mm -hmm. at, I also am missing seven toenails total, which is not part of a clubfoot diagnosis. It's just Mm -hmm. another fun thing that I have. Um, and just, I remember looking at, um, all the spots on the tops of my toes where toenails should be, but weren't. And looking Mm -hmm. at my like growing collection of scars and at age like four or five, just being like, wow, like this foot gets to be mine.
2: That's
1: so incredible. Um, I had my first operation when I was six months old. Mm -hmm. Um, and my last operation, uh, December of 2018, So it was a very long process for me. Mm -hmm. Um, And that is not going to be typical of all um, children born with club feet. Yeah, Um, I had a very severe club foot and it was Mm -hmm. only unilateral. Um, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: We tried the Ponseti method of treatment. Mm -hmm. um, And so I wore the foot abduction braces um, Mm -hmm. probably for two, two and a half years total. Um, I remember laying in bed and um, I was like four and five at the time mm-hmm. and remember feeling like I was being like strapped in like I was locked and loaded I was ready to go yeah um, I couldn't really move in my bed from my memory but um, yeah I was strapped in and then it would be bedtime <laughs> yeah right um, and because of the severity of my club foot um it was upside down and backwards at birth mm-hmm. um I had to we went a more Serious route, I guess, of treatment. Yeah, yeah. Um, So I had, let's see, I forget the surgery that I had um, first, but it's a method that they don't do anymore Mm -hmm. um, because it severely limits your range of um, uh, dorsi and plantar flexion. Yeah. Um, So now, because of that surgery, while it did straighten my foot a bit, I now am in like a locked position, Mm -hmm. which isn't ideal, but that's okay. Um, I had a, uh, osteotomy infusion, which was the big, big surgery that made like the most progress. I think, um, Mm. I had that in 2009 when I was in fourth grade. Um, Mm. and then the clubfoot also, um, I'm sure a lot of clubfoot moms would know this, but, um, it, I feel like it should sometimes be called club leg because it has so many other yeah. indications. Um, true, so true. It. Uh, it's like a holistic diagnosis. Yeah, um, And so the rate of growth in my affected leg was a lot slower um, then the non-affected leg. And so I ended up having, by the time I was in middle school an almost two inch leg length discrepancy, which wow. is very significant. And so I had functional that di- or functional scoliosis, um, mm-hmm. because of that and everything. So then in my unaffected leg, I had two knee surgeries, um, to help stunt the growth and even out my leg length discrepancy. Wow.
2: Um,
1: yeah, I, I mean, there are a lot of things that go into having a club, foot. um, yeah, And a lot of times it's really cool. It makes me feel like a superhero. I feel like I have this super secret part Mm -hmm. of me that makes me the most unique and Mm -hmm. um, gives me a lot of character in life and um, maturity. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, I'm going to be 22 in a month and still Mm -hmm. sometimes get a little weepy like
2: Mm. trying
1: to go shoe shopping because my feet were made for me they're not made for the general shoe market you know they're just right used at a really hard right. um yeah. or I remember going to prom and because I have that limited um flexion I couldn't wear high heels and yeah. kind of all the um not only like personal things that you go through with having a club foot but also um like the social implications of having a club foot right um, they're all just parts of growing up, but also parts of growing up as you. Yeah. Um, And I think my relationship that I have with my clubfoot is going to be the most unique, the most special, um, but also the most dynamic and challenging relationship that I have uh, for the rest of my life. Um, My clubfoot and I are in it together. (laughs) um, And I had to learn at a point um when like mentally it got really challenging and then physically when the pain got really great um just learning that I was not fighting against my club foot Mm -hmm. me and my club foot were on the same team Mm -hmm. and it was when I realized that I got to work together with it that I didn't have to fight against this part of myself Um, things just got
0: easier and more fun Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you just have such a great, um, outlook and perspective on it because I do think as parents, that's like such a concern. Like I, I work a lot with parents and I talk a lot with parents and clubfoot treatment, especially the Ponseti method is very parent heavy, right? Like the parents are responsible for a lot of the care, but the reality is we are not the ones who are born with Clubfoot, And so while we're like so active in the treatment of it, I think a lot about how different my experience is as a parent versus my daughter's experience as the person who actually has the club feet and has to have that relationship with her feet, right? Um, Just like anybody who has some sort of diagnosis, right? That's the part that is, you have to end up it's a journey between you and whatever that diagnosis is, any range of it, but your perspective on it and the reality, like the reality of it, right? So you're very positive, but you're also like, but yes, there are still times where it is difficult, where it's challenging, where it's going to be complex and complicated. And I think that's, A really good thing for parents to hear because we really worry we want to make everything perfect for our kids we don't want our kids to go through this and to have to go through anything but the reality is we can't we can't stop it so how do we help our kids come to terms with that and create a healthy relationship with their club feet or whatever else diagnosis that they have Mm -hmm. So in your TED talk you talk a lot about your parents really focused on your diagnosis and how like you said earlier really made you like unique and different and special. Do you remember like how your parents told you about your clubfoot and talked to you about your treatment? Do you have like memories of that of how they approached you about it? Yeah, that's a really good question.
1: Um I think I mean, as I got older, it was already so much a part of who I was. Mm. Um, a lot of the language that I remember being used was like, you get to tell this story. Mm. Um, and I think it was a way of, and this of course becomes very relevant later in my story. Um, but a message about consent, um, this is the foot you were given. It's beautiful. It's mm-hmm. special. It gets to be yours. Let's take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, let's honor that this isn't a mistake that you Chloe are not a mistake. You're here for a mm-hmm. reason. And you are given this foot for a reason. Wow. Mm-hmm. That in itself is very special, right. but you get to choose to share this story if you want to, you don't have to, mm-hmm. but this is your special thing that if you choose to you -hmm. can talk about it's not a secret it's not this big heavy burden Mm. this is just part of who you are and that part is really special um and I remember um, starting probably in first grade uh it became the thing that if I felt comfortable I would share in front of my class um Mm -hmm. give a little like Show and tell, I think it's called. Yeah, uh, yeah. That would be like my fun. Like, here, guys, this is my foot. You see the picture on the screen? That's it. Yeah. Um, this is like the first little cast that I wore when mm-hmm. I was six months old. Mm. Um, and because I think that language of use or was used, like you get to tell this story. Mm-hmm. It was an invitation to participate in my own narrative. Mm. Um, I think and. I think for children with club feet, uh, that's a huge part of their journey, you know, Mm. owning all parts of your story Mm -hmm. Um, because there are parts of having a club foot that are really hard, but parts Mm -hmm. that are also very, very cool um, Mm -hmm. and life altering and teach you a lot of um, lessons about yourself and about your relation to the world around you. Um, But then also for... um, parents of children with club feet that message of um like consent I think is huge um and like I said that definitely becomes relevant um later
0: in my story but right yeah so kind of giving your I think about that a lot because in the work that I do, I specifically don't use my daughter's name and I try to protect her, not, I mean, partially it's privacy, right? Like I'm trying to protect it. She's young. She doesn't get a choice on whether she has like a digital footprint at this point. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's also just to hold space for her to tell her story and to everybody to know that what the story that I'm telling is from her as a parent not her story. So I'm like trying to create this space for her to be like, if you choose to, then this would be your, this is your ability. I have created and held this space for you. And maybe she won't. I mean, I, that's the other part. Like if she chooses not to, then fine. Like that's also, that space will be there forever because I'm not going to speak into that. But I do think what you said about it not being a burden, right? It's not this secret that we're trying to keep and the stigma. And I think as parents, that is a hard road to walk because we get stigmatized a lot when we're out with our kids and our babies and they're in these casts and people are like, What did you do? Did you break yeah. your kid's oh, leg? And, and there's like this kind of underlying shame that we that we shouldn't be kind of showing this because there's something wrong or something different about our child. So as parents, we have to like actively change that narrative for ourselves before we can even start to teach our children that that's theirs. But if we don't work through that, so that's like a lot of kudos to your parents because- It sounds like they were able to, that was their narrative that they had first, and then they were able to impart that onto you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of what you're saying is very, very powerful. Um, My parents have started um, introducing me to their part of this journey that we're living Mm -hmm. together because you're absolutely right. Like, I have a club foot, but my whole family has a clubfoot in a Mm -hmm. sense um because we're all living through what it means to be different um my mom especially um carried a lot of shame and a lot of guilt um for a long time uh, because of my clubfoot um and some of that is you know it comes from uh, the medical world like Mm -hmm. um, she would go to doctor's appointments in utero and then even after i was born and they'd be like well like, did you smoke during pregnancy? Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. what, what did you do during pregnancy that caused this? Um, because people don't really know still why COVID happens. That's right. yeah. um, and my mom didn't even pump her own gas, like when she was pregnant with me. Yeah. So just having the weight of like, I don't think I did anything wrong. But the mm-hmm. child that I gave birth to doesn't yeah. look like like we're taught it should look Mm -hmm. um Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and then feeling guilty for having those thoughts like well but this is my child why am I comparing it to this anonymous Mm -hmm. theoretical norm
2: like
1: is there something inherently wrong with me for sometimes wondering why it was my child that Mm looks like this Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and then like you're right like having to be the parent that Instead of going on daddy daughter dates, you're like bringing your child to the um get their cast cut off and things like that. Like, that's just a different Mm
2: -hmm.
1: way to be a parent, or um, also just different parent experience, I guess. Yeah, like, I remember um, when we started writing my book, I was asking my dad about like what it was like for him um, being in that initial doctor's appointment where they said your daughter Mm -hmm. um, is going to be different. We don't really know what, but she'll be different. And um, my dad said, well, like I grew up playing soccer. Like I had this image in my mind, like my daughter would be this girl that played soccer and we would go to the um, like fields together as she was growing up and Mm -hmm we would do this thing together Mm -hmm. Um, and Mm -hmm. I don't know if my daughter will play soccer now Mm -hmm. Um, and I had never heard him talk about that before
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, and so you're right like there is a lot of shame and confusion and then guilt for feeling that shame and confusion Um, yeah like parents, you didn't do anything wrong. Like, and I know it can feel really isolating to have um, the story that maybe isn't even yours, but it is because mm-hmm. you're living this journey too. And yeah, um, like I didn't meet another person with a foot that looks like mine until I was seventeen, um, and. While that was a massive moment for me, that was also huge for my parents, Mm -hmm. especially my mom. Um, Mm -hmm. Because having um, a disability in America can be so isolating, but Mm -hmm. having a child that is different Mm -hmm. can be almost more so. Because you're living these experiences and sitting in the hospital waiting rooms and you're um, mourning the loss of what you thought might've Mm -hmm. been, um, and it's not even your thing that you look down and see attached to your leg.
0: Um, yeah, I think so. And I think you're right. There is a responsibility. I think as moms, particularly you, whether or not anyone tells you it's not your fault, you didn't do anything wrong or, um, or even if, People do question it. Like the reality is you grew that child inside of you. So no matter what, I will always feel responsible for her. Like I created her. She was inside of me. And so there is this, I think more so than even, um, you know, my husband who created her too, but didn't like, she grew in me. And so that part, I feel a responsibility, but I do think that then, As parents, we have expectations, right? And we talk about this a lot. And in my therapeutic background, we talk a lot about how your expectation as a parent is so vastly different than the reality of what having a child is. No matter whether that is a clubfoot, a medical diagnosis, um, a sexual orientation, whatever that looks like. What you thought that you were going to do with your child or what your experience is going to be, what that expectation is, is always going to have adjustment based Mm -hmm. on the child that comes to you. Right. Um, But that relationship that you have is like you said, a relationship, it's interesting because I've never really thought about it that way, but you're right. You, like my daughter has her relationship with her club foot, but I also have my own relationship with her club foot. Mm
1: -hmm. And
0: our family has a relationship with her club foot, her older sisters do, because they, it's all part of not just her story, but our story Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out which, how those all interplay together can sometimes be complicated and yeah. challenging because you're wanting to um, create a narrative but create space for everybody to cre- to have their own narrative. And that's okay if they're different. Um, so yeah, it's really, I think that's good for parents to hear. And I think it's gonna help me think about it that way. Like the relationship that she has can be different than the relationship that I have Mm -hmm. and um how those work together don't always have to be exactly aligned. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. So I know as a Clubfoot parents, like I can't help but worry about like no matter how much that I try to do to help her understand that being different is what makes us all special. that that can be undone like really quickly, Mm -hmm. especially as she grows older and she's no longer right now. She's like in my life all the time. Like I'm like her world. Right. But I also have a fourth grade girl and she's getting to the point where she's like, I don't really even want to hang out with you anymore. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you know, she's heading into that. So she's getting further away. So I'm controlling less of um, her experience. I'm just less a part of her experience of the world. And you talk about this kind of happening for you when you were a freshman in high school. And I'm wondering about how your parents supported you through that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then any advice that you have, because I think Clubfoot parents are out there are like, okay, what should we do? Like, how am I supposed to help? Like, how are we supporting our kid? Mm-hmm. Um, so any advice that you have for us about how your parents handled it? Would be wonderful.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yeah. Um, So I've kind of referenced it a couple of times and you did also, but uh, my freshman year of high school in 2014, Mm -hmm. um, I was the victim of hate crime assault um, because Mm -hmm. of my foot deformity. Mm -hmm. Um, In November of 2014, I was eating lunch one day at my high school Mm -hmm. um, and was called over to another table of students Mm -hmm. and Um, was restrained, Um, someone wrapped their arms around me and held my arms at my sides Mm -hmm. um, and lifted me up off the ground while another person um, removed my sock and shoe Mm -hmm. and held my foot out to a group of students. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was very traumatic for me. Mm And I didn't, I didn't like how I responded in that moment. I Mm -hmm. completely froze and all messages of consent that my parents had been gently teaching me over the years and Mm -hmm. um, all of that just completely left. And I felt Mm -hmm. the most powerless I've ever felt in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, And. Now, looking back so many years later, I know that I felt that way because my story was being told by someone that wasn't me. It was being told for me um, Mm -hmm. in a way that didn't feel good. Mm -hmm. Um, And I remember when I got home from school that day, I was way quieter than usual. And Mm -hmm. I ended up telling my mom about what happened. And immediately it was like, okay, we're going to battle, like, she understood the severity of the situation way before I did, Mm -hmm. Um, apparently, the whole thing was caught on security cameras, and um, the police were called um, by the school, and um, all of a sudden, it was a very large thing that a very small me didn't understand how to reconcile, Um, the California district attorney decided to prosecute the case for the hate crime allegation. And, um, I felt like I was at battle with myself. I was like, this is my foot and I've been wronged. And I can't believe that this happens. But the other part of me was like, it's just a foot. Like I wasn't raped. Like I am okay. Like there are no marks on my body. Like it's just like my foot. It's fine um Mm -hmm. and what my parents did in response to this that Mm -hmm. helped me um really cope with what was happening was um Mm -hmm. they helped me know that my feelings could be loud
2: Mm -hmm. um, if that makes
1: sense they Yeah. yeah like really coached me through like what are you feeling? Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are you sad? Are you angry? Mm-hmm. Um, and as I was processing what I was feeling, they're like, okay, let's be loud with it. And so mm-hmm. as a family, we would all stand in our kitchen and we would yell. <laughs> um, and yeah, it sounds really weird, just four people standing in their kitchen yelling, but it was a way for 14 year old me to understand that my lived experience could be big and mm. um at least i have had a hard time since the very beginning um feeling like i take up too much space um mm. i think there's some um subconscious part of me that has always felt really guilty that um I have this foot and that I've cost my parents so much money with, Mm. um, medical treatment and that I have unintentionally shaped my younger brother's identity, um, Mm. and have just used up so much of my parents' time and energy with Mm. anxiety over things that I'm going through. Mm. Um, and so my parents, Giving me permission to be loud in what I was feeling was mm-hmm. very freeing um, and allowed me to step into the feelings that I was having in response to the assault without hesitation and without um, mm-hmm. that feeling of guilt. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I mean, things just got really messy. Um, mm-hmm. It ended up going, uh, the case ended up going to trial. Um, And we were in trial for a very long time. It wasn't until two years later, 2016, that both perpetrators were um, sentenced. Um, Many eyewitnesses had to testify. And I was on the stand for a very long time. And I had to watch um, security footage of the assault over and over. And um, multiple surgeons had to come in and testify to the validity of my um, deformity. um wow. was all just a lot. And yeah. um my parents throughout the whole time were like, Chloe, this is your story. Mm. Um we don't get control of the chapters in our stories, and this chapter, wow,
0: <laughs> it's a crazy okay. chapter. Yeah.
1: But this is your story, and you get to tell it. And I know that what happened to you, um, sucked and mm-hmm. it sucked because you didn't get to tell your story
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, but you still have the opportunity to tell it and it's up to you how you get or how you want to tell it mm-hmm. um, and mm-hmm. following the sentencing I decided that was something I wanted to do I wanted to mm-hmm. tell my story but I wanted to control how it was told right and that's when I got I applied to give the first TED talk and then fell in love with standing barefoot on stages and then Mm -hmm. gave another Ted talk and then started traveling around the world, um, talking about club feet.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think as parents to hear that it's helpful for us to hear what, what we can do. And it's just from what you're saying, just allowing you to feel what you need to feel and making sure that that was okay in your house Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and that your parents allowed that range of emotion for you and created that space for you to do it. Because I think as parents, we just want to make it better. Right. So we like, sometimes we can really push past that feeling. I'm sure my kids don't think this because they're probably really tired of talking about their feelings because <laughs> I'm a therapist, <laughs> but but I think um, a lot of us just go, me included, go like, no, we don't, I don't want you to feel those things. Like I want to save you from feeling them. So mm-hmm. we're just, you know, even with the best of intentions, we're trying to prevent you from feeling pain and oh. It sounds like to me what your parents did a really fantastic job of was allowing you to feel it without going. It's like, we don't want you to feel that, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Like, and we don't feel comfortable allowing you to feel it because at some point I think as parents, we feel like if our kids feel pain, we failed in some way, you know, mm-hmm. like we haven't done our job to protect you, and so on the one hand, your parents took what happened to you really seriously, and they kind of showed you, like, this is something serious, and we're doing something about it, right? Mm-hmm. Do you remember being an active, like, participant in that before it actually went? Like, were you also like, okay, yes, I want to do something about this? Or was it something that your parents really took the lead on?
1: Um, I mean, it actually wasn't even my parents that Mm. instigated it um because the school watched the tapes and called the police and Mm -hmm. then um the people who did it were read their Miranda rights and then uh California district attorney saw the case Mm -hmm. um file and then reached out to us so okay um it was kind of like we were all going through it together Mm -hmm. um but I think like, I don't know, you know, when little kids like fall down and mm-hmm. they're like, oh, like very disoriented. And then they look around, they're like, should I respond to this? Like, yeah, yeah. Should like, I, should I cry
0: like or am I like...
1: okay? Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Um, they look to their parents to see like if they should cry or if they're okay, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I feel like that's what I did after my assault. I was like, mm. okay, this thing happened and it wasn't normal.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I know that for myself, but mm-hmm. am I Okay or Mm -hmm. should I react in another way Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. and in those initial days my parents very much respected um I just I take a long time to process things and so they gave me space and allowed me to figure out that it wasn't something that I liked Mm. um, that happened um and then once I decided that for myself and that Mm -hmm. it didn't feel good but didn't really know the language um to like name it Mm -hmm. uh, they shared their response to it Mm. uh, because like we both said like when someone in your family has a clubfoot your whole family is carrying the story of what it means to have a clubfoot and so when that happened to me my parents felt like like they were sucker punched um Mm -hmm. like this had happened to them and Mm -hmm. um they recognized the weight of at that point 14 years of Mm lessons of self-acceptance and love Mm -hmm. um just being ripped away and it stung Mm -hmm. when that was ripped away Mm
0: -hmm. um yeah because they couldn't control it
1: yeah and Mm -hmm. i think i mean that was very scary to them feeling like Mm -hmm. this thing was happening to their kid that like, they weren't there to stop. Yeah. Um,
0: yeah.
1: And that is such a scary thing when you'll tr- your children grow up, but also when your child with a club foot grows up, like,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you're like, okay, like, I guess you're going to go live your life. And I, mm-hmm. you're walking into school on that special foot that I have loved since you were inside me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm just, Like, I guess
0: hoping for that. I'm saying
1: here, like, yeah, this is me giving up my power because I can't control the day to day what happens in those school walls. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, But all that you have to do as parents is be there ready to welcome and love um, Mm -hmm.
0: whatever day your child is carrying back home. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I'm interested in. You obviously felt comfortable enough to tell your mom what happened. Um, I think as a parent, you fear that your child will go through something and they won't tell you and they won't, um, they'll harbor it as kind of a secret. Mm -hmm. And what do you think your parents did or your mom did that you made you feel like she was a safe person to tell and Mm -hmm. that, um, was there anything in specific or was it just like a feeling that you had?
1: I, I mean, I think when you have, you are different and you're spending mm-hmm. all this time with your parents in a way that maybe, um, the children that aren't living that very specific, different narrative, mm-hmm. um, you have a different type of child parent relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, just because you're talking about pain and you're talking about um, like very real hard things. Often you're doing like, how does it feel? One to 10 pain check ins. And mm-hmm. you get used to talking about very physical pain, but there's this whole other emotional side that needs to be addressed.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I think something that my parents did really, really well, especially mm-hmm. my mom. Um, We talked about shame a lot, Mm. um, a lot, a lot. We talked about what is guilt? Why does it not feel good? Where does it come from? Mm. Um, And we talked about um, regret and we talked about, um, like, shame. We just talked about um, Mm. the things that – the feelings that can – encourage someone to keep something a secret mm. um I like I shared like I have a hard time feeling like a burden mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and despite anything that my parents will say I'll always carry that with me mm. just this little part of me that's like man I wish I would have been an easier kid to parent mm. um because I mean, I think I have a fantastic personality. But aside from that, like, I'm fun. But, yeah. man, my foot, that's a hard foot to know how to parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and first kid, especially, like, mm. hey, you're pregnant. Wow, this is going to be a really interesting kid. Right, um, That's hard. And mm-hmm. I'll carry that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but because my parents... Did such a good job of um, renouncing shame, yeah, and um, or denouncing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: denouncing shame and yeah. denouncing guilt, um, and saying like Chloe, these are not feelings that have to be a part of your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt comfortable being able to offload that um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: because yeah sharing that heavy thing with my mom wasn't me hold- like handing her this big weight mm-hmm. it was um already feeling like my mom was like i'm here to hold this with you mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. i've already stepped into this story that we're walking together um yeah let me help you hold this because wow that looks heavy
0: yeah. Yeah. So they, she created opportunities for you to share and explore emotions that are difficult. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but because you had had that base, you were able to go, okay, yes, this is, I know I have a partner here that's willing to listen and share in the experience with me. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us why did you write stand beautiful? What made you, I mean, you kind of talked about it a little bit before, but what was it after you'd gone through the court case, which anybody who's listening, okay. It's extreme. Like what, what victims have to go through is intense. So um, kudos to you for going through (laughs) it, because there's a lot of re traumatization that goes through it. Like you said, and, um, court systems aren't always, you know, they're not built for victims. So no, not um, at all. yeah. So it's, so what kind of made you go, okay, I, I am choosing to share my story mm-hmm. and why in a book form?
1: Yeah. Um, I've always loved to write
0: Okay, um,
1: and, and read. So <laughs> writing and reading have always been like my happy little say hobby feels weird but just like the things that I love yeah it's like a creative Um, space for you yeah exactly Mm -hmm. um and when this thing happened to me Mm -hmm. um and I just I decided I didn't want to be a victim anymore like Mm -hmm. once you're legally Mm -hmm. labeled victim like right it's like you're sitting in court and you're like okay the minors because that's what they call the perpetrators I guess in juvenile Mm -hmm. court Um, the Mm -hmm. minors are here with their family and the victim is also here. You're like, Hey, what's up guys? I'm the victim. Um, it sucks. It's the worst. Yeah. Right. Um, Right.
0: That's your label. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: That's how you're dressed. Um, and you start to feel like you're trapped in this hole and you're the victim and maybe you'll always be the victim. And Mm -hmm. then that victim label permeates into all other parts of your life. And Mm -hmm. all of a sudden um, you're victimizing yourself, um, Mm -hmm. and you're, like, ah, like, it becomes even more about just the court case, like, oh, my life sucks, like, oh, man, I have this foot, and it's not like you can do anything to change the fact that you have a club foot, Mm -hmm. um, and it just gets to a place where you feel trapped, yeah, um, And I didn't want to feel trapped anymore. Mm. Um, And that's where I started feeling like I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what to do. Mm. Um, My story is just a little unique, I guess, Mm -hmm. um, because I gave the first TED talk um, Mm. and then um, started speaking around and then... um, was on tv a couple times Mm -hmm. about just talking about it Mm -hmm. um and then a publishing house heard my story and Mm -hmm. reached out to me with this like book deal Uh, and I mean obviously I feel very lucky that that's kind of the way it happened I know that Mm -hmm. um how it happened for me is a lot easier than um, a lot of other
0: beginner authors. I would say different. I mean, yeah. it's just, everybody's not, maybe not eight years, <laughs> but I wouldn't say your story's easy. But <laughs> I would say maybe that part of it, like they'd heard your story and maybe that reached out. It's just a different avenue than some authors go through for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, I feel very lucky
1: that that's how it happens. But mm-hmm. all of a sudden, I was a junior in high school and had a book deal for a memoir and a picture book Um, and it was like yes like oh my gosh this is it like light bulbs going off everywhere everything possible is clicking Um, like this is the story that I've been learning how to tell and now I feel confident enough to tell it for myself because of this thing that happened to me and because I have this um like these supportive parents and all these people surrounding me who are on my team and want to help me tell this story for myself I feel like this is something I can finally own Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and as someone with a club foot but just as an uh, like a 17 year old girl like Mm
0: -hmm.
1: being at a place where you can be like this is me like
0: Mm -hmm.
1: that like this is me
0: yeah um, right
1: like how freeing is that and I think Mm -hmm. as a parent you're like how in the world do I give my kid the opportunity to confidently be like hey world like this is me this is my story here I am Mm -hmm. you can't hurt me
2: Mm
1: -hmm. um and that's like that's the goal right there I feel like um we see that type of confidence and it looks like freedom Mm -hmm. And I think when we allow ourselves to escape from the trapped narrative of this happened to me, Mm -hmm. um, I have this, um, and step instead into the narrative of, "I, this is me, um, this gets to be my foot, um, Mm -hmm. I've lived this and I'm still living this, but this isn't all that I am. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's when a cognitive shift happens and we're able to be empowered by our own narrative.
0: Hmm. And was that what you were trying to do like with the picture book? Was it trying to help kids? Because while you're like, So she also has a picture book, guys, that's Stan, that's Stan Beautiful. They're both. Um, And one of the things that's so great about the picture book is just the message behind it, which is that everybody's unique and everybody's different. And I think there is some, as you get older, when you're younger, it's kind of hard to understand that even though you might be the only person, you know, that has clubfoot, Like your sister has anxiety or this person has asthma or this person. It's all just your differences are in different form. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so I think that's one of the great things about the picture book is that it depicts, I'm guessing you, but Mm -hmm. um, but also all these other animals, too, that are all different and how how all of their differences have meaning and purpose and make them who they are, right? Yeah, I think
1: that was a, I mean, I wrote the memoir first um, Mm -hmm. and then the children's book um, was just the second part of that and Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the whole message is like, we are all different. Um, We're all different in different ways. Some of us has physical differences. Some of us have Mm -hmm. um, cognitive differences um, we have personality yeah. differences, and mm-hmm. we're different in what we like and dislike. Um, right. But we're all different, and mm-hmm. it's the different parts of us that make us special. Um, right. And not only that, but those parts of us deserve to be celebrated. Um, and so, I think it's a very uniting mm-hmm. message, um, mm-hmm. and a very hopeful message.
0: Right. I think it's also a very um, mature message but relayed in a way that kids can understand, because I think there is a natural part of development as children is this kind of assimilation and you don't want to be different. You want to do everything that everybody else does. And you want to be Mm -hmm. exactly the same as your best friend. Right. Um, And I think that's natural. And I think it's parents trying to go like kids have that and then, but keep saying it, like keep, cause there will come a time, like you're saying, when there is a cognitive shift in that ability for you to understand like, oh, like being different is what makes me, me. Right. Yeah. Um, so I think if you start kind of saying that early in these picture books, um, it's something that they can kind of come back to. Even when they're in the midst of I want to have the exact same hair and clothes and be the exact same as everyone around me, because being different is scary. and you know, um, which is a very normal part of childhood, like is growing up, I mean, I think we've all been through that. um and it takes a little while before you're able to realize like, okay, yeah, this difference is what like it shapes so much of who I am, and this is what makes me me. Yeah. So I love that part of the book. And one of the things that you talk about frequently, kind of all the platforms that you have is about like how shared stories can create connections. And this is a big thing for me too, because that's a big reason why I have chosen to share my story and why I love doing the podcast and connecting with people. Um, and because I just think it's really important that sharing your story is allows you to create connections in a way that if you didn't, that doesn't mean publicly. Like I think you don't always have to share your story publicly, right? I mean, there are people who choose to do that and who don't, but what do you think about that theme and how it impacts and drives the work that you do?
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I... I've really always believed that there's power in storytelling, Mm -hmm. Uh, not only in listening to someone else's narrative and being able to, in a very short amount of time, learn so much about them Mm -hmm. um, because Mm of what they share about themselves, but also um, how empowering it is to own your own narrative um, Mm -hmm. and however you share it, um, just, how incredible that is and um, mm-hmm. like I said, how empowering it is um, to tell your right. own story. I think that vulnerability is met with vulnerability
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, and that's something yeah. that I've seen in my own life and as I um, have spoken abroad. Um, mm-hmm. I remember there was a time um, when I was speaking in a mobile club foot clinic in um, uh, New Delhi, India Mm. Um, I was at one of the, um, public hospitals there and, um, the, one of the surgeons who does a lot of the club work um, in New Delhi, um, his name is, uh, Dr. George Matthews. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he was there and we were all in this big room and, um, everyone was there all at once. It was him. And myself and my mom, and then probably like 150 mothers, um, holding their kids, um, who were probably like aged two months to eight years. Um, and they all were at varying parts of the, um, method of treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some had these foot abduction braces and a lot had all these casts, mm-hmm. um, and, Um, Dr. Matthews was very um, intentional about having everyone together in one place um, during this clinic Mm -hmm. Um, because he wanted these mothers to feel like they were part of a community to see the other mothers and know that they weren't alone in this um, Mm -hmm. as a way to combat stigmas and Mm -hmm. um, defeat isolation. Mm -hmm. Um, But also um, he used different um children as um markers in the treatment like look at this kid he is at this point in the treatment and because of that this is the progress that his foot has made um so moms i know it's so hard right now but please um Hmm. keep having your child wear the braces because it can make the most massive difference just stick with it you're almost there yeah um and so whether you're like sharing your narrative looks like hi my name's Chloe I was born with this foot um, or if it's like you're standing somewhere and you just slip off your shoe and show someone your foot and then they slip off theirs and mm-hmm. show you their foot and you realize that your feet look the same and mm-hmm. um, stories are shared in so many ways verbally or non-verbally but it's mm-hmm. when we're vulnerable that it's matched with vulnerability and magic things happen. Um, Yeah.
0: yeah. So, right. Yeah. That's why it's so just powerful. And I'm so grateful that you are sharing your story in such a broad way. Um, I think there's so much hope in that and in the vulnerability that you're able to connect with other people. Yeah. So it's really amazing. I ask everybody this. Okay. So um, has there been like a standout moment, something memorable on your journey that's really just stuck with you, a special or memorable, it doesn't have to be positive. It can be just like a memory, right? So we have these memories that we go that just stand out. Right. Um, So do you have any of those? I do.
1: Okay. Um, The, Uh, A surgery I had in fourth grade, there was a pretty big gap of, like, several years um, between surgeries for me. And that was the first I'd had in several years. Um, And it was my first, like, like big girl, like, cognitive, independent thinker Mm -hmm. surgery. Um, -hmm. I was in fourth grade, you know, I had it all. I was a
0: big girl, right? Yeah, I I know, Mm
1: -hmm. (laughs) and so I'm sitting there, and Mm -hmm. my little foot is like twisted, just kind of like swinging off the um table in the uh pre op room. And I've gotten all ready for surgery, I'm sitting there Mm -hmm. with my parents, and my surgeon, Dr. Diaz at UCSF, um, comes in and sits down on the table opposite to me and is like, Okay, Chloe, we're about to get started. Um, you've already chosen your um your anesthesia flavor. <laughs> um <laughs> do you have any more last minute questions? Um uh-huh. and it's my surgeon, my parents, and then uh the anesthesiologist and a, uh the physician's assistant um and a couple more people. Um we're in this room. I'm already go, I'm wearing like the socks with the grippy things on the bottom. Yeah, I um, mean yeah. my gown, everything. Uh, and I'm like, yes, Dr. Deb, I do have a question. Okay. Okay, close shoot. Um, I say, should I be concerned that I'm not wearing underwear? <laughs> uh, and <laughs> Dr. Diaz, he <laughs>, laughs and he looks at me. He said, "Chloe, that's such a good question." Yeah. Um, I yeah. Think you'll be okay. Thank you for your concern, but it is part of our procedure. You'll be okay. I promise. Yeah. And I said, "Okay, thanks so much." Um and my mom still thinks it's the funniest thing that's ever happened in her entire life. um <laughs> But I was very concerned at that time, like right. wearing underwear is wear just you're a fourth grade girl. girl. Yeah. yeah, you're Hello. like
0: you're yeah. starting to become aware of your body, and you're like, wait exactly. a second, like uh-huh. underwear is a necessity. <laughs> Correct. Yes. What's happening? Uh-huh. I'm about to be, you know, in surgery. Is yeah right. Uh huh. I'm like breaking a social
1: rule right now. Um, yes. And I share that because, like, I am nine mm-hmm. years old about to go into this massive surgery. Mm-hmm. I know the implications, I know what the recovery process feels like because okay. I've had so many surgeries and, um, like my heart's beating on my chest, but also I feel this sense of calm because it's familiar and the mm-hmm. s- hospital smells feel like home to me. And, um, I'm just in this place and I'm instead of thinking about the fact that I'm having surgery and we'll be able to walk for several months and we'll have to be wheeled to school in a wheelchair and like all that. I'm thinking about the fact that I'm not wearing underwear. Right. Um, and so I think I share that just because there are so many parts of us that make us who we are. And yes, I'm, Chloe Howard and I was born with a foot that was upside down and backwards. Mm-hmm. I've had upwards of nine surgeries and many diagnoses, and mm-hmm. I'm a grad about to graduate college and um mm-hmm. think I want to be a nurse. And mm-hmm. there are so many coexisting parts Assets. of my life, mm-hmm.
2: you know.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, like I am
0: just a girl trying to have fun and a girl trying to figure out whether she should have underwear on. Right.
2: Right.
0: Like Uh, you're still a kid. Like that's what the story tells me is like, as a parent, the way that I view that is like, you're still a kid and you're still Chloe, right? Like no matter whether you're going into surgery or not. And even though you know more because now you're in fourth grade and you're not four, right. Like you, have a better understanding of what that's going to look like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You're still you and you're still yeah. a kid, you know, mm-hmm. and you're still growing and it's honestly those are the exact moments that I'm talking about. Like that's it because those are the moments even as a parent where I go like, "Oh, yeah. Everything is so big mm-hmm. and all of the repercussions are so big, right? Yeah. And everything feels really huge, but if you can like Mm -hmm. just focus on the moment like that moment. And you're Mm -hmm. like, Oh yeah. Like that's what humanizes us.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And kind of brings us back. Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing. Yeah, that's it was a great cool. one. I loved it. Yeah, this is so why good. I ask these questions cuz <laughs> I'd love to hear them because I focused so much on it. I actually just recorded an episode about moments because I was mm-hmm. like, I've started to realize it's a theme for me in my life cuz I was like, why do I ask everybody this? Like, I don't know why why is this so important but it just ends up being that. So, mm-hmm. I think your moment is such a great example of that. So, thanks for sharing. Yeah, of course. And so I feel like I could talk to you forever, Um, but eventually we're going to have to end the podcast, but I so appreciate you taking the time. And if people like want to get in contact with you or purchase your books or follow you on social media, how do they do that?
1: Yeah. Uh, So you can contact me through my website, which is uh, standbeautiful.me. Mm -hmm. Um, my name is Chloe Howard. My Instagram is at it's Chloe Howard. Uh you can Google my name. Um, you can find my books, both the memoir and the picture book on Amazon or my website. Um Yeah, and you have all the links
0: to your TED Talks on the on your website too. Yeah, your website's great. So if you want information about Chloe, um go there. There's got she's got a lot of really good info. Well. I want to thank you so much, Chloe, for being a guest on the podcast today and just sharing your story and giving all of us parents some perspective into it. Cause I really think, and other clubfoot professionals too, you know, I talk about that a lot about how there's a disconnect sometimes between the medical experience and the Mm -hmm. parent experience, but I'm sure there's a disconnect between the medical experience and the actual patient experience too. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Um, so I think there's so much value in you sharing your story for that. And it was just a pleasure talking to you. And I just wish you all the best. Like, thank you. Thank you best so much. And your graduation <laughs> and everything else moving forward. And a big thank you for all the work that you've done and being an advocate and sharing your story. Like it's it brings a lot of awareness and it helps a lot of people. So thank you
1: so much. Thank you for having me this morning. Um, Yeah, it was such a pleasure connecting with you.
0: You too. So as always, if you've liked the episode, please share, subscribe to the podcast. And if you need to get in contact with me, you can do so at my website, maureenhoff.com or my Instagram account at ClubfootChroniclesMom. Until
2: next time.